Okay, so tonight we are kind of in the second part of a, a series that we are going through this fall. Okay, um, and it's all about how do we if God if God is at work in the world if He has stuff that He's doing if He has kind of a mission of His own. Um, And we believe that that includes wanting to bless all of creation that he's made. Um, It includes wanting to renew people. It includes uh, wanting to bring peace and bring forgiveness and health and healing. Um, If God is at work doing all that, how in the world do we join him in doing that? Um, what, What does that look like? And so Charles, a couple weeks ago, started off talking about, well, the main way that we figure out how to do that is we look at Jesus and we, we kind of try to copy what, what he did. And there's a verse that kind of um, encapsulates kind of what Jesus did um, and, and just a, a sentence or two. Um, can anybody tell me John 1.14? Any, anybody remember what John 1.14 sounds like? No pressure. No pressure. The word... The word became flesh, yeah, and dwelt among us, yeah, good. Feel free to, to turn there if you want to. There are Bibles hanging around on, on the seats. Um, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And the word, being the uh, being Jesus, made uh, became man and made his dwelling among us. One version says he moved into our neighborhood. Which is kind of a cool way of thinking about it. That he he was at home, but he didn't say, okay, to get all the good stuff that God wants to bless you with, you have to come to me. You have to figure out how to, how to make your way to me. He said, no, we are going to go to you and bless you in your neighborhood. And so um, that kind of lays the groundwork for where we're going this fall in our, in our teaching and in our missional communities as we talk about that. And so um, it makes me think about... Um, about six years ago, when we were deciding where to move to in Vancouver, Canada, and Julie and I felt God's leading to go there, and we were trying to decide what neighborhood should we move into. And so we're driving around through these different neighborhoods, and we actually were driving through the neighborhood that we ended up moving to, and we pull uh, behind some buildings into an alley, and uh, I noticed there's a lot of graffiti everywhere. And then there, right in the middle of all the graffiti, in big black lettering, is... F Jesus, you know, F before Jesus, you know, and I'm like, oh man, yeah. What would compel somebody to, if, if you're a graffiti artist, what compels you? You're like, oh, I think we need a little bit of this derogatory towards Jesus. Um, and so, needless to say, we moved there, but I am, I am intimidated now by this neighborhood where we've moved into. And I feel like, you know, we are trying to follow Jesus' lead by moving into a neighborhood. But then I'm like, what do we do now that we're here? And, and I would go, I, my default was to go uh, to coffee shops and, and hang out. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm in the coffee shop. I'm surrounded by people. What do I do now? You know, I'm, I'm nervous. I don't know what to say to them. They're probably going to, you know, yell something at me if I say anything about Jesus. And so um, I had no clue what to do. And so one thing that I think is kind of neat is that in our communities and storyline, we feel like God has pushed us into different areas and neighborhoods where he wants us to be a blessing to people. And that maybe some of you guys feel like that, too. Like, OK, what do we do now? Like we're in a neighborhood. What do we do now? We're going to look at Acts chapter 16 and some stories that um, come out of that um, particular chapter uh, for some guidance in this. And um, 
in Acts 16, there is the Apostle Paul, and he's kind of got a, a team that's with him, including a guy named Silas and this young guy named Timothy that were, you know, he's probably in his younger 20s, maybe, um, maybe 18, 19, something like that. And so they are traveling around and they're going to visit some of the churches that Paul had started uh, with a guy named Barnabas. And they're visiting and they're encouraging. And, uh, you know, if you know guys like Charles and other people, they're like, they kind of get the itch like, okay, we need to start something new. Okay, what are we going to do? And they decide, hey, we need to go to Asia, which at the time is not big Asia that we're thinking of in our minds. But it's this little bitty part of modern day Turkey. And they're like, we want to go there. And it says, the Bible says, the spirit of Jesus would not allow them into Asia at that time. And instead, um, Paul gets this uh, interesting vision that we can read about um, in chapter 16. And um, what verse are we at? Verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing up and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so uh, Paul like wakes everybody up and he's had this vision. He's like, OK, I saw this guy from Macedonia saying, come help us. That's in northern Greece, Macedonia. And so they kind of think, OK, what should we do? Well, we should go. And so they get on a boat and then they travel over to Greece and they stop off at a city. The big first big city they get to. It's called Philippi. And Philippi is an interesting city. It's a little bit different from some of the other cities that they had already been in, that they had already started churches in. It's like a mini, it's like a miniature Rome. That's kind of how they thought of themselves. Like this is, we're in Greece, but we're like, we're as close to Rome as you're going to get if you're in Greece. And Rome, of course, in that time, uh, 2,000 years ago, was the center of the world, at least in their minds. It was the powerhouse of the world. And so the Philippians, they were like, we're, we're just like them. We're just kind of like a smaller version of Rome. And one of the things that that meant was that um, small, actually in this city, kind of smaller groups, smaller sects, religious groups, they actually weren't quite as friendly towards these groups as they, they might be in some other places. And so when Paul and his friends get there, they kind of the mode of operation that Paul had was he'd say, OK, where are the Jews at? Because. Uh, I'm a Jew, I'm most comfortable around Jews, and I'm going to go find the Jewish synagogue, and I'm going to ask them if they'll let me teach. Well, they start presumably looking for the Jewish people, and they have to go outside the city walls, and they don't find a synagogue. They find a place of prayer where there are some women that are Gentiles, uh, some non-Jewish people that are there praying. Somehow they've caught wind of this Jewish God, and they're, they've become interested in him, and they are learning to pray to uh, God, Yahweh. And um, they guest speakers would come in and speak to them. And so Paul is like, OK, I'm the guest speaker for today. And he sits down and he's talking to this group of women. And I just wonder if you're, you know, you think like Silas and Timothy and, and by now this guy named Luke that wrote uh, the book of Acts is with them. And I wonder if they're thinking, you know, I know that God brought us here. But this doesn't seem to be going too well. You know, we're we're outside the city walls. We're not even sure what's, if we're going to be able to do anything inside the city. And we didn't find a synagogue like we've been doing. All we're finding, we're finding this, this group of women that are here to pray out by this river. You know, this doesn't look too good. Well, as Paul preaches, the Bible says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart, one of the ladies that was there. 
to receive the message that he was saying. Now Lydia, as we find out about her, she is someone that deals in purple cloth. So she, she like makes clothing. And if you read into the history of the time, purple cloth was the imperial color. In other words, it's like what Caesar and the other important people wore. And so scholars think that Lydia was probably pretty well off. She probably sold clothing to people that were more wealthy or important in the city. In other words, if you're into fashion in Philippi, you know all about Lydia and her shop and her stuff. And um, one, uh, Mike Green, the, the guy from 3DM, he, he suggests that if there were supermodels of that day in Philippi, they hung out at, at Lydia's house because they wanted to wear the nicest fashion. And so um, this is the lady that the Lord opens her heart. She's a Gentile woman, but she's become interested in God. And she... Um, God opens her heart to what Paul is saying there. And so it says that she and her entire household are, they become believers and they're baptized. And so now in that culture, the household is not just Lydia and husband and two kids, you know. This is um, extended family. So it's grandparents, aunts, uncles, kids, nephews, nieces. Um, it's uh, servants in the house. And if Lydia is pretty well off, she probably has servants. She probably has slaves, even business partners. So, you know, the supermodels in the, in the house, they all come to faith. Um, and then she says, if you really believe that God's at work in my life, I want you to come into the city and stay at my house. And I want my house to be the, the launch pad for everything that, that God's doing in, in you guys for the city. And it, and it says that they, she had to persuade them. Because you can imagine there's these four, uh, four single guys, um, three of them Jewish in there. And this Gentile lady is trying to persuade them to come to her house where all the supermodels live. And they're like, I don't know if that it sounds that good. And I just imagine Timothy, you know, 18-year-old guy. He's like, guys, God opened the door. We need to follow. We need to follow, you know, wherever he leads us. And so um, they suffer in going to Lydia's house and hanging out with uh, the fashionable crowd. Now, there's there's at least six things um, that we can draw from this. There's lots of things we can draw from this. There's six things I want us to kind of focus on as we think about what is, how does God want to, how can he use us in the neighborhoods we're in? The first thing is that the Lord... It was the Lord that opened Lydia's heart. It wasn't Paul's persuasiveness. In other words, um, God, God wanted them to show up. And he wanted Paul to speak. But it was what God had been doing all along that really would, meant uh, the most in that situation. It was God at work. You know, um, picture me in this coffee shop in Vancouver. And I just have the weight of the world on my shoulders. I'm like... It's all up to me to figure out how to connect with these people in this room and share good news to them and figure out all this stuff. And, and the truth of the matter is that what, it's not all on my shoulders. God carries the weight of his mission. God carries the heaviest responsibility. But he still says, hey, I'd like for you to come out and help out. I'm going to give you a little role to play here and there. And I want you to show up and, and just be faithful and do what you can. But don't worry, I've got, you, I've got it covered. I'm going to take care of the, the big stuff. Okay. So that's, that's number one. Uh, God is, uh, is the one doing most of the persuading. 
The second thing um, is that Lydia is in a place in life where she's interested in the message. And that's important because if Paul would have and his companions would have just gone into Philippi and they would have gotten a bullhorn and just started shouting out this message to everybody, um, presumably they wouldn't have gotten this great reception. Instead, God leads them to a person that has that he's been working on on their, her heart and she is open to this message. And so some of the things kind of sub points to that are that. When God leads us to a person that is open to his uh, influence, to his blessing, to his healing, we should we should open that door and, and walk through it and put our energy there. We should focus on how do we bless this person? And it doesn't mean that we give up on all the other people that we'd like to, to be helping out, but it just may mean that they're not in that place in life. And so one thing that this means is that prayer is really important because um, there's a lot of people that may be in your life that you're like, I really want to, to, to reach out to them. I want to connect with them. I want to bless them. I want to help them um, in, in all sorts of ways, but they just, they're, they're just not in this place. And you, you're not going to be able to fix that you know, on your own. You're not going to be usually able to persuade somebody to change their heart, to be open to what you want to do. Um, it's God that does that work. And so God had worked in Lydia's heart. And that was important because she was the one that was kind of ready to hear. Now, a third third point um, is that Lydia was an open door to this huge network of people. So it wasn't just her that was ended up being a person of peace, but she opened the door to her household. And then she she opened the door to the city, basically, because there's a good chance they would not have been able to stay in Philippi and preach Unless the favor that she had as a person of influence in the city was passed on to them. And so she blesses them uh, as, as a person that has a good reputation. And so their existence in the city, their ability to influence people and to start a church there is based on, on Lydia's, uh, her reputation. And so that's the power of God being at work and introducing us to people uh, that are people of, of peace, people of this, this Hebrew word shalom. Um, that have this open door to places and networks that we never would be able to go if we hadn't met them. Another point, the open door doesn't last forever. Um, It doesn't take very long for Paul and Silas to get into some trouble with their preaching, and they get thrown in jail, and they end up meeting another person of peace, but then they have to go before like the city magistrates, and they said, hey, we're Roman citizens. You should read it it's in chapter 16. Basically, the magistrates have to end up apologizing to them for throwing them in jail. But they say, we need you guys to leave the city because it's just too much of an uproar. And so they do have to leave the city. But for whatever period of time they were able to connect with Lydia and her household and the people from that place, um, a church was started there. And so, again, the emphasis is when God opens a door. You don't want to pass up that chance. You want, to, you want to put your energy into that opportunity. If God gives you a, a person whose heart is open uh, to being blessed, to hearing good news, to uh, being prayed for, all the different ways that you can bless somebody, um, go for it. Because you never know when that door is going to shut again. So I just think that was, an, I hadn't thought of that before, but I see that at work in this story. Two more. Um, the story shows that Paul wasn't trying to do this alone. When you when you kind of get it in your heart, like, hey, I want to I want to help. 
I want to be a part of what God's doing in the world. I want to, I want to bless other people. Um, it's really hard to go into new places alone. It's really hard to not get discouraged and um, to have all sorts of frustrations. And, and I'm speaking from experience. Um, it's so much better to go into situations with other people. And there are times when I've been in a situation where I am completely discouraged. I don't, I'm full of doubt and fear and frustration. Um, but the other people that are part of this kind of team dynamic with me, um, they're encouraged. They, they're feeling good and they encourage me. And then like six months later, I'm like, my faith is strong. I'm feeling good. And they're just really down. And I'm like, you know, it's okay. God, you know, God's going to take care of it. And it's just weird. I just feel like God uses um, that dynamic to, to take us along and to encourage us. I just, I think if you feel like God's pushing you out into, um, to, to new places and new neighborhoods, don't go alone. Go with other people. Um, and then the last point here is that um, Paul didn't try to go and change the hearts and minds of like the hardest people group in Philippi. Um, he went with what he knew. He just went. He was looking for the Jewish people. He found these women praying. He just kind of went with it. And he didn't try to go to the people that were going to get in the loudest shouting match with him, the biggest arguments with him. Um, he went where God opened the door. And now later on in chapter 17, he goes to Athens. And Athens is like the spiritual city of the time. And all the great philosophers, the most spiritually interesting people and, and greatest minds of the times are all in Athens. And he walks right up to them and he gives this great talk to them. And the response is, is rather muted. It's not that great of a response. Like a few people are kind of moved by what he says and want to come talk to him. But by and large, there's a lot of a pushback against him. And for one thing, we can read in our Bibles a letter to the Philippian church, but um, there's not a letter to the Athenian church, you know. And I, and I just, I, I'm sure there, there obviously were churches that were started in Athens over time, but I just wonder if in that situation, he just went straight to the top, straight to where he could argue for God. And in Philippi, he just went kind of the easy way. He's like, we're just going to go down to the river to the prayer place and talk to whoever's there. And he meets somebody there that God has prepared. And the, and the other situation, uh, they're not there. And so I'm not saying that should be an all or none sort of situation. You have to use discernment. If you feel God is calling you to go into the, the atheist club and, and give this talk, you know, then, then follow God's lead. But I would suggest that's probably um, not always. If, if you're not sure that's God moving you to do that, that might not be the best uh, idea. Um, instead, ask God to lead you to a person of peace, a person that he's been working on, because um, they're going to be receptive to what God wants to do through you. There's two just kind of final comments, um, and then we're going to commune together. Um, if you can take away two major things from this study tonight, um, it would be, number one, um, that God does the bulk of the work. When we try, when we join him in the mission, God goes before us. He's already out in the neighborhoods. He's in the people's lives that we're wanting to connect with. And, and God is at work there. It doesn't take the onus off us to, to be doing something and not to show up and, and to feel like we're going to be a part of this with him. But 
It's more about us getting in tune with what God's already doing. If we want to be a part of God's mission, it's not that we have to create it out of thin air. It's saying, God, I know you're doing things out in people's lives. I know you're doing things in this city. Just put me in line with what you're doing. And that gets us to the second uh, main takeaway is that I believe each of us have circles of influence. We have friendships that we're part of. We have families that we're part of. And I think that somewhere in your circle, there's a there's a person of peace that's there. And I think that it's about asking God to give us spiritual eyes and ears to connect with those people. I, I, I think if you pray this week, God, um, lead me to a person of peace. Give me eyes and ears to see. And if I if you did. You know, my confession is a lot of days I walk through and I've got the blinders on of I just want to get through this day so I can relax and get home and that's going to be it. And I'm not thinking about whether or not I'm going to run into a person of peace today or how I'm going to be part of God's mission today. But when I have opened up myself and said, God, um, if you want to use me today in a conversation, um, I'm open to it. Almost every time I've, I've asked, I've, I've opened myself to that situation, something good has come of it. Some person uh, I've been able to connect with on a deeper level because of that. And so I think um, being a part of God's mission is mostly about just saying, God, um, I want to be a part. I believe you're already at work. Now just use me today. Um, for some of us, it's not so much about tonight, maybe about saying, hey, um, God, use me as part of your mission to find people at peace. It may be like, God, um, I, you know, I need some good news in my life. There, there are times when when I need to be a person of peace and I'm rigid, though. My walls are really strong and um, but I really need to be blessed by my spiritual family. And so it may be, you know, God. Would you make me a person of peace? Um, people of peace are not necessarily people that, that you know don't follow Jesus or don't go to church or don't do this or that. It's we're all just on we're in life we're in a, in a journey and there's days when we need to be people of peace. We say, God, I need some help. I need you to help me be receptive to what you want to do today. And there's other days when we do say, God, um, would you use me today? Maybe it's both at the same time. Maybe you say, God, make me a person of peace and help me to, uh, you know, do what you can with this, this jar of clay.